0: It's Tech Biter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blynn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 354, July 7th, 2013. This week, the latest version of Zara, photo and graphic designer, tries to do everything and fails at nothing. The first big search engine, AltaVista, died many years ago. Now, even the name is being retired. In short circuits, Facebook says it'll shield ads from controversial content, but is less adamant about users. Apple is a step closer to creating a watch and has now applied in Japan for a trademark on iWatch. And the tech sector moves toward using more renewable power sources. Zara's graphic design software has been trying to develop a following in the United States for decades by creating an application that can be used to create and edit both vector images, think Adobe Illustrator or Corel Draw, and pixel-based images, think Adobe Photoshop or PaintShop Pro. Despite a surprisingly low price, Zara Photo and Graphic Designer 9 offers a lot of powerful features. Zara uses an interface that might be called quirky because it really doesn't look like any of the competing products interfaces. Once you figure it out, though, it makes sense and it makes the program faster to use than most of its competitors. The ability to handle both photos and vectors is a real plus for users, but it also makes the application difficult for reviewers to place in relation to other products. As a result of that, Zara photo and graphic designer is sometimes just overlooked. Consider the versatility. Zara photo and graphic designer can open the files you have. Most of them. Now you'd expect it to be able to open jpeg and ping files. You can open tiff files too, but what about raw files like cr2 or digital negatives? Well, yes. And what about photoshop psd files? Also yes. And the list goes on. EPS, BMP, GIF, CDR, CorelDRAW files, PCX, TGA. If you have a graphic file, either a bitmap or a vector file, there's a really good chance that this application will be able to open it. So what's new in version 9? 9. Well, from version 7 forward, Zara's primary emphasis on each new version has been on the photographic side. Version 9 offers PhotoHeal, which is like Photoshop's content-aware fill. Just paint over the area that you want to remove, and the application tries to figure out what could plausibly appear there. Warning, though, this feature does still need some work, but Magic Erase performs a similar task and because it's been around since version 7, it's usually more reliable. Version 9 offers 11 new photo effects, including sepia toning, filters that apply a grunge look, and one that applies a high dynamic range, or HDR, look to images. You might enjoy playing with the little planet effect. It turns your photo into kind of a sphere that appears to be just hanging there. Unlike filters from companies such as Alien Skin, the Zara filters have only a single slider to control the effect. Now, for a basic on-off filter such as sepia toning, that's really all you need. But this seems a little skimpy when it comes to HDR or Little Planet. These new filters are definitely not the most important new feature, but they're undoubtedly the most fun. You'll see some examples on the TechBiter Worldwide website. I started with a picture of Chloe Cat, a cat who knows she's just entirely too cute for me, but seems to hang around anyway. Maybe it's because I feed her. It's just an average snapshot image, although it is a high-resolution one, and the file is a CR2 RAW file. So I started with Little Planet. Definitely not a flattering look for a kitty. As much fun as this is to play with, I haven't yet found an image that works really well with it, but I'm sure I will. Probably in the next version of the application or the one after that, there will be additional controls that might allow the user to place the point of inflection and possibly to make some other modifications. So this is a good example of a feature that needs at least one more control. The filters include the Lomo look, and this is the one that makes your picture look like it was taken with a 1968 camera with a plastic lens and probably a light leak. The grunge look can be a lot of fun to play with, and the single slider control is probably adequate for this one. Another filter is called Color Splash. This is an effect that allows the user to modify specific colors within the image. In this particular case though, the image had kind of a yellow cast, the result of using daylight color balance under tungsten light, so the Color Splash actually toned down that yellow color. If you like the effect that's created by converting an image to monochrome and then leaving one color intact, this would be a good tool to choose. It's also a great example of a situation in which multiple controls would be helpful. A single slider selects the color you want to retain, but there should be an accuracy slider to widen or narrow the range of selected colors, as well as a feather slider to blend the effect into the existing image. All of those would be really helpful. Or how about thermal imaging? Or maybe you could subtitle this one, You remember the 1960s, don't you? Thermal imaging modifies colors depending on the physical temperature of what's being photographed. Of course, that doesn't really happen here because the film or the digital sensor doesn't know what the temperature really was, so you just pick your own. It can create some really amazing colors. What good is an image like a picture of a cat with thermal imaging? maybe no good at all. Or maybe it's exactly what you're looking for to make a point. That's the thing about artistic endeavors. Art isn't designed to be pleasing or pretty, necessarily. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. It is intended to make us think. So if you find an image that works well with this filter's approach, hey, go for it. I saved two that I really like, until last. There's pencil sketch. This is one of an impressionistic type of effect, and both of these work for me with the image of the cat. Sometimes you can tell more about a subject when there's less detail, and that's well represented by the pencil sketch image. And there's one called local minimum. This is an effect that allows modifications on both horizontal and vertical axes. The result can range from being barely visible to way overboard. I think I managed to get the settings just about right for a kind of pontilist type effect. Zara Photo and Graphic Designer adds better typeface support in this version. In fact, it's improved by adding access to a lot of new typefaces from the Google Font Library. You can browse, preview, and install more than 600 typefaces that are included in Google Fonts. The application also includes an easier method to change colors in elements that have been constructed from many parts. Just drop a new color onto the group and tell the application which color it's intended to replace. And it's now possible to apply color corrections to limited areas of a photograph by first painting on a mask, or by using the lasso tool or the marquee tool. Once you've created the mask, you can resize it if you didn't get it right the first time. Just grab the vector handles and modify the shape until it's exactly the way you want it to be. These masks may be used to adjust brightness, contrast, saturation, color temperature, and hue. Applying the masks to vector drawings might surprise you a bit. They don't behave the way they would in most vector applications. The mask becomes a vector object and applies modifications to everything that's below it. I haven't spent much time on vector images, and I'm not going to, because the program's vector capabilities are generally well-known, and Azar has been known for years, or maybe decades, wouldn't be too much of an exaggeration, as the fastest vector art application on the planet. And in that regard, nothing has changed. So there's an image on the TechBiter Worldwide website that simply shows three examples of what Zara can do. The first is a 3D extrusion of some text, and the extrusion is better than anything Adobe Illustrator can create. But Illustrator users have never had an acceptable bevel and extrusion function. I started with some text that had a blue fill, I added a yellow border, then I applied a 3D effect to it and added a drop shadow. The complete process took about a minute. Oh, and the typeface that you see there, that's one of the Google typefaces. In the middle of the screen, there's a second effect. I started with some text behind a box that's filled with color, then I applied a transparency effect to the fill. The color is nearly opaque on the left and transparent on the right. Again, took a few seconds to do. And at the bottom you'll see three shapes that look nothing like each other, but actually they all came from the first shape. For the one in the middle, I modified the lines between the points from the first shape, the one on the left, and then for the one on the right, I just added more points to the shape in the middle. Another 30 second job. So here's the bottom line. four cats, this is the graphics application that tries to do everything and fails at nothing. Zara Photo and Graphic Designer doesn't have all the power of Adobe Illustrator or all the features of Adobe Photoshop, so it can't always do what those large and expensive applications do. But its ability to handle both Illustrator-like vectors and Photoshop-like illustrations, particularly when combined with its price makes the application an appealing choice for those who need to do work with both media types. For more information, visit the Zara website, and you'll find a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Uh, Remember AltaVista? Books were written about the revolutionary Alta Vista when it debuted back in 1995. But success begets competition, and one of the competitors was a little upstart named Google. Now, for Alta Vista, after many years of irrelevance, it's the end of the line. AltaVista was invented by the Digital Equipment Corporation, or DEC. DEC made mid-range computers, and Digital Equipment Corporation preceded AltaVista in death. DEC, also known as Digital, was once second only to IBM, and its mini-computers were the most popular of the type, but the company's downhill trajectory started in 1992, and in 1998, what remained of the company was sold to Compaq which was eventually acquired by HP. Although other pre-web search functions existed, AltaVista was the first big search engine on the web. After the rise of Google, Yahoo acquired AltaVista, and in a typical Yahoo move, the company retained the name but funneled all of the searches to its own search engine. On Monday, July 8th, the AltaVista name will go away, changing exactly nothing. But ignoring this was not something I could do, because AltaVista was such an important part of the web's early success. DEC even made versions of AltaVista available for installation on PCs to provide the same kind of search functionality for users' locally stored files. Other search functions were available when AltaVista launched, but DEC's new offering had a fast, multi-threaded website crawler known as Scooter. Scooter could index more sites than were believed to exist at the time. The number of sites has increased substantially since then, of course. AltaVista processed about 2.5 million search requests per day in 1995, an unheard of number at that time. Now compare that to the number of search requests that Google sees every day now, more than 5 billion. When Google came along in 1998, it quickly became the largest and most popular search engine, and despite efforts by Microsoft and others, little has happened to change that in the intervening 15 years Take a look at the TechBiter Worldwide website and you'll see a couple of images of AltaVista, one image as it appeared in 1999 and one as it appears today, just the AltaVista name on the Yahoo search engine. AltaVista had hoped to raise $300 million in an initial public offering or IPO scheduled for December 1999, but by that time you may remember the internet bubble had begun to implode. As late as 2002, AltaVista tried again to become relevant, but the efforts ultimately failed. So, goodbye, my old friend. Goodbye, AltaVista. In short circuits, Facebook says it's going to begin removing ads from pages that contain controversial content to protect the ads. Our goal, Facebook posted on its blog, is to both preserve the freedoms of sharing on Facebook, but also protect people and brands from certain types of content. Controversial content refers in some cases to pages that promote violence against women. One might wonder how any page that promotes violence against anyone or any group... be considered controversial instead of just plain wrong. Facebook says it already has review and removal policies in place for content that's against their terms, but that it recognizes the need to do more. The new process will involve some manual review of pages. It is the result of complaints by feminist groups that urged Facebook's advertisers to remove their ads until Facebook cleaned up or eliminated pages that glorify violence against women. The groups sent more than 5,000 messages to advertisers and collectively made more than 50,000 posts on Twitter. Several advertisers, including Nissan, removed their ads. Others, such as American Express and Dove Soap, issued statements of support for the group's objectives. The move by Facebook might be seen as more of a counter tactic than an effort to comply with the group's demands. If ads are removed from the offensive or controversial pages, then the feminist groups won't be able to complain to the advertisers because there won't be any. At a time when watch sales are down, or almost non-existent, because just about everybody has a cell phone or some other device that knows the time, Apple has applied for a trademark in Japan on the term iWatch. Was this a surprise? Well, no. Computers continue to get smaller. Google wants you to wear one on your head how could anyone be surprised that Apple might be thinking more along the lines of a Dick Tracy watch? The trademark application was filed in June and would apply to computers, computer peripherals, and wristwatches. CEO Tim Cook told tech and media executives that wearable computer products are worth investigating, but he downplayed Google's Glass and other similar devices, including watches, as being a tough sell in the youth market. The New York Times reported as early as February that Apple was considering a watch that would run the same iOS platform as the iPad and iPhones. You may not remember when I made fun of the name iPad a few years ago, but I do. This time, I'm just going to sit quietly and not say a thing. Good news this week from the tech sector regarding sustainable energy sources. Apple says it will build a solar farm to power its Reno data center. One computer doesn't use a lot of electricity, of course, but hundreds or thousands of computers and data centers do. And these centers are owned by Apple, Amazon, Google, and lots of other big players. They use enormous amounts of power, and the air conditioning systems designed to make the computers happy can belch huge amounts of hot air out into the environment. New computer centers are being designed to use natural cooling when possible, and now Apple has a plan to power one of its data centers with electricity generated from a solar panel farm in Nevada. Now, if solar power can be functional in often cloudy Ohio, and I'm often seeing new homes being built with solar arrays on the roof, then it certainly should work in Nevada. Apple will build an 18-megawatt solar electric plant in northern Nevada. The facility will power a data center that will be located east of Reno. Apple announced plans to build a data center last year, and now Envy Energy has filed forms with the Public Utilities Commission to construct the power plant. Approval could take several months. Apple says that all of its data centers are powered entirely by renewable energy. This is the first phase of a solar power plant that will eventually cover 140 acres and will generate more than 40 million kilowatt hours of renewable power. What does that mean to the environment? Well, for some reason, Apple doesn't compare the impact to that caused by traditional power plants. Instead, the comparison was to vehicles. The new plant will reduce pollution each year by the amount of pollution created by nearly 6,500 cars and trucks. The electric industry likes to position itself as a clean energy source, even though the claims are easily disproved. Converting to solar and other renewable non-polluting energy sources will begin to bring reality more in line with the electric industry's claims, and in the process, it will improve the environment and add jobs to the economy. Nevada Governor Brian Sandoval says the project will bring hundreds of jobs to the county in Nevada that has the highest unemployment rate. And to me, that sounds like a win for everybody. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blynn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.